0: Hi, I'm your host Blavia and welcome to this week's episode of the EcoScope. We have an absolutely packed episode for you this week and we're covering a number of recent developments internationally and some that are a little bit closer to home as well. And we're actually starting really close to home. You may have heard of the recent announcement from Queen's University. They've announced a multi-million pound sustainability action plan and this has come very much as a result of work and campaigning by students in the SU and it's amazing news. And to find out a bit more about this, I actually spoke to our campaigns and engagement officer, Chloe Ferguson, and she kindly breaks down what the action plan will cover, how the university is going to be implementing its goals, and crucially, how this plan links into the Green New Deal, which was voted in by a referendum of the student body back in 2020. Now, moving on from that. You may or may not have heard about COP26. It's been all over the news. It kicked off on the 31st of October and it's been a really busy few days. And to kind of break all this information down for you, I spoke to AJ Camacho and he gave us an overview of what's happened so far, what the key commitment announcements have been and what they mean, and also what you can look out for over the next week or so. Now, AJ is actually going to be a COP26 next week, so you can expect to hear from him but the duration of COP26, he's going to be giving us updates on what's happening and what you need to know. Now, finally, to end the episode, I spoke to Richard Gill from Extinction Rebellion, and he was chatting to me about Global Day of Action, which is taking place on the 6th of November. There is going to be a protest in Belfast, which is part of a, a global um, day of protesting, and it's happening right bang in the middle of COP26. Richard's going to break down what the plan is in Belfast, how you can get involved, where the protest is starting He basically tells us everything you need to know about the protest, and if you want to get involved. Now, we hope you enjoy this episode. There's so much packed in there for you. So with me now, I've got Chloe Ferguson, who's our student officer for campaigns and engagement. And Chloe's actually, this is a follow up from an interview we did on the very first episode of the EcoScoop almost a year ago now, when we were talking about sort of what Queen's as an institution was doing um, in relation to climate emergency. And I know that that, this is something that you were campaigning a lot for. But finally, um, Queen's has actually delivered some really exciting news. Chloe, do you want to tell our listeners about the recent announcement that's come through?
1: Yes, um, and thank you so much, Fabio for having me. Um, So really, really exciting through the Climate Action Group through joint student and staff lobbying Queens have now finally recognised the climate emergency we're all living in, and um, pledged a multi million pound um investment into a sustainability action plan, which is um grounded on the green new deal and a carbon reduction plan. So and which is net zero too. So we're finally actually all, it's all working out.
0: <laughs> I know it's a, it's 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 an excellent example as well, which is something that you've been saying on social media since it's been announced of sort of seeing real pay. And returns from students engagement and students campaigning and efforts to sort of get the university to get behind something that students feel really really strongly about so I think it's it's amazing and like you said it's a great example of what student engagement can really do Uh, I
1: know I I think um, sometimes student engagement it it can seem like I'm going to put all the time into this but it's never really going to work out it's more like a far-flung hope or dream and you know there's been years and years and years of like dedication and activism from students from you know before I was even a student myself and leading up until this point so it's really pushing some of it over the line um but it's really just an amazing testament that you know when students and staff too like come together and we're really able to push for what we want and what we need and what we deserve it is a really amazing testament to just when students come together and you know the powers of activism too. Yeah, it's,
0: I think it's definitely really encouraging for students who are really interested and passionate about things, who are looking to get change through the university and the SU. I mean, it's a great example of what you can actually achieve. Um, so you mentioned this briefly as well, because um, the Green New Deal was sort of what you were originally on a year ago to talk about, which was sort of a, a series of actions that the SU and the students wanted to see Queen's take. And and has that been a part of this plan that Queen's is looking to implement?
1: Yeah. So you know, it wasn't in the press statement. <laughs> However, you know, in terms of like the, the background kind of negotiation for all those things, and um, just in case anyone doesn't know what the Green New Deal is, the Green New Deal um, was basically a student policy document that was passed at referendum in January, February 2020, so just before the pandemic hit. Um, it had over a thousand students um, vote in favor of it, which is a really amazing result, you know, in terms of student engagement on sustainability and giving a mandate to the Students' Union. Um, so it covered everything from you know, operational response to curriculum, to lobbying, to working on a citywide level and national level. And really it kind of highlighted like a framework for what students wanted to see the university do. Um, and that has completely driven um, this, the, the campaign from the beginning. You know, started with Alan Fearing, who's now our CSI president. But it really has been just the driving factor And now a lot of the internal like conversations are using the Green New Deal um, as a foundational point and how to build up all like the new sustainability structures, working groups. And there is a genuine, real passion amongst staff um, in the university to ensure the student voice is there. And the Green New Deal is a starting block for that. Yeah, no, amazing. Again, another
0: really good example of how student voices are really being taken on board when it comes to climate change within the university. Um, so sort of the press release that came out broadly covered some of the areas they're going to talk about. So, you know, carbon reduction being net zero, encouraging more um, environmentally and sustainable research, etc. Do you have like um, any sort of more details about what the university is actually going to be doing to sort of reduce their carbon footprint, for example?
1: Yeah, I mean, so in terms of the carbon reduction plan, I would sit on with other kind of environmentally geared staff members, um, and we're looking to get more student voice onto those groups, and like lots of different subgroups and workshops, and it sounds very boring to someone who's not into it, but I'm sure if you listen to the podcast, you probably are. (laughs) Um, So essentially, you know, what we're doing next is going out for student and staff consultation around the engagement initiatives and around um, what and um, the university like can do what student what they want students um to put what students want the university to prioritize going forward okay. so you know the some of the stuff that you know will be covered um is our energy usage you know there is a kind of a transitionary period we're going through anyway right now um around our energy you know we have the students union new build and um, i don't have all the details on that i'm not gonna lie <laughs> um but like I, i've been assured <laughs> that it, it is um completely you know revolutionary in the way that we're looking at energy um, you know we're looking at our travel plans we're looking at our you know cafe tenders our um, foundational blocks when it comes to lab work when it comes to um you know the classroom and the materials we use down to you know how we encourage students and staff to get to work Um, And some of that is implementation from the university's perspective, or some of that is lobbying from the university's perspective to the executive representation to the Belfast City Hall and Belfast City Council, sorry, um, to really ensure um, that we can cut down on our carbon footprint um, effectively.
0: No, that's amazing. And it really does sound like a holistic plan. It looks like from what you just said, they're hitting all the really important things that I think students are going to want to see. And um, one of the things I know the Green Deal, green New Deal covered was sort of education and actually the content that some courses deliver and kind of focusing on more green and sustainable um, theories, for example, is that is that something that the university is going to sort of be working on as part of this?
1: Yeah, so from what I've been hearing anyway, and it, it's Going in that direction, is just putting it down, I suppose, on the official stamp on paper. Um, is that you know, every every few years a module or a course comes up for a review and they review the content of the module, they review um you know how that module is taught, the learning criteria, and obviously that changes across the few years. Um, but they're now gonna embed sustainability and embed climate action into the review process of that, and how that needs to be kind of a built-in requirement. Um, in terms of kind of the offering across um, different models, though, like different across all the different disciplines. and mm. um, But they're really taking an active approach. And also, something that we secured recently in conjunction with the Estates Office um, was the funding from the university in conjunction with Keep North Island Beautiful for carbon literacy training for 400 students. Wow. So, this is to upskill students to kind of understand more around um, carbon reduction, kind of climate crisis in general. Um, So, they can understand the terminology, the language, use those for their own knowledge and empowerment, but also taking the skills into employers and workplaces. So, whilst that is a pilot right now for 400 students, and the, gosh, the opening admission for that I think is on the 8th of November. So, keep an eye out if you want to be part of the first pilot. Um, But that is then eventually the plan, the strategic plan is for that to be rolled out for all first years too. And um, so it will just be an additional criteria that students can have now being a proper accreditation too. So it's like an extra requalification. No, that's amazing. I think students will already appreciate that, because I think anything
0: that can help them learn the language of climate change to prepare them for the future. I think I think students will absolutely jump on that opportunity to to do that. Um, Are there any sort of, I know you mentioned that it's going to go to consultation first, so I imagine this is just the first step on on a really, really long road of of steps that need to be taken. Is there sort of any time frame? Because I know they said net zero as soon as possible. Is that based on sort of how each step progresses? Do they have a
1: time frame in mind
0: or a target date in mind, you know?
1: Yeah. So, again, the conversations that are being had right now, they're really focused really to 2030 to 2033-ish. So, obviously, in the Green New Deal, we're 2030 and um, however we do understand that sometimes there are mitigations and we put in place there's um you know lots of different areas of operations and the way we phrase the green new deal is to kind of allow for that um so you know as soon as possible is the goal but i you know i would say from the conversations that are being had the timeline is very much um 2030 to 2033 would be what they're expecting okay. um so fingers crossed that's what that's what happens that's what we'll be pushing for and I think that's what's really important as well It's like this isn't the end of the journey as you said um you know I think it's it's John Barry um a lecturer who's head of um the Center for Sustainability Equality and Climate Action always says sustainability isn't for Christmas and at the same way sustainability isn't just for COP26 it's not just you know a a short-term publicity stunt Um, And I I don't think that's what this is, but but it's just making sure that sustainability is kept on the radar, and climate action is kept on the radar. Um, And for us, like in the Students' Union, like our role in that will be holding the university to account on their promises that they've now made in a very public way. Yeah,
0: and I think I think that's a step of like actually now that you mentioned COP twenty six, it's it's the same kind of thing, isn't it? These announcements are great, but they are just a step in a, a long road that needs to be taken and a big part of what's going to happen next exactly what you just said it's it's holding the university to account to make sure that actually everything kind of follows through um the only other thing i've actually had in mind from when we spoke originally which i didn't see mentioned in the announcement as well i know divestment was a big thing for you guys um and kind of wanting the university to be a bit more transparent about their investments in fossil fuels and to find out if they actually had a plan to divest. Um, is that something that there's been any progress in as part of this?
1: Yeah, no, 100 percent. So I think originally it was meant to kind of be recommitted and um, a bit sooner. But from you know papers going to university executive board and conversation, you know, amongst the vice chancellor and the regist- registrar's office, they are prioritizing right now and finding a more transparent timeline to divestment. And the conversations that I'm hearing, um, it's still looking to be 2025, which is fantastic. Um, so I'm hoping that we're going to hear more about that in the next few weeks. Um, I'm still trying to find all the information out myself. Um, But as soon as I know it, you'll know it. No, that's amazing. It is really good to know then
0: that they've definitely addressed every single one of the areas in the Green New Deal that you guys were pushing forward to. So it's really, really positive. Um, I know you said that it's going out to consultation. Where should students look out for those kind of announcements, you know, to make sure that they get their chance to, to have their voices heard, basically? That's
1: an amazing question. I, I would assume um, that it'll be all over social media. It'll be over Accommodation social media will be over estate social media, environmental and um, green and queen social media will be over all of our social media in the student union. And um, there will also be, you know, physical materials that are obviously environmentally and recyclable. <laughs> um, and then, cause that's the priority. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, there'll be all student emails. There's so plenty of opportunities for students to get involved and whether that's like on your canvas homepage or whether that is on a social media survey and um, there's going to be a real multifaceted um, approach to this consultative piece. And um, I'm working quite closely with um, our environmental states department to develop that. We're still in the really, really early stages, but um, I will be sure for, be for sure shouting about it as soon as it goes live. <laughs> so basically keep an eye on
0: all social media platforms that you possibly can <laughs> follow all the accounts um, for, yeah. for consultations going out to so make sure you get your voice heard in these next few steps. I mean, this is actually absolutely amazing because we have gone full circle. And um, from the very first interview of the EcoScoop, there we go. The university has recognized a climate emergency and they're putting in place some concrete steps to target it, which is is absolutely amazing. Chloe, thank you so much for coming on and giving us a bit more information about this. I'm sure all our listeners appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really love being here.
0: So with me today, I've got AJ Camacho, who's going to be The Scoop's very own COP26 correspondent. He's actually heading off to Glasgow next week. AJ, AJ when do you actually leave for Glasgow then?
2: We're going to be leaving the evening of Tuesday, um, which is right at uh, the day that the high-level uh, segment of negotiations start. This is going to be where a lot of big uh, sort of ministers from different countries are going to be more heavily involved, and they start getting down to the nuts and bolts of any big deal agreements.
0: Right. So that's really exciting. It's really exciting to think that we've actually got someone on the ground that can give us some coverage of what's actually going to be happening. Um, so I suppose whilst we've got you here, I think a good place to start for our listeners would be if you could give us a bit of an overview of obviously COP26 happens every year, but every year the key items for discussion or the key points sort of vary year on year. What's on the agenda this year?
2: On the agenda this year, I mean, well, as you said, there are, you know, there have been 25 previous COPs, so this Conference of the Parties to the UN Framework of Climate Change is hardly something new. But this is a rather important one because it's the official follow-up to the Paris Agreement of 2015, Mm. which said that every five years it would be revisited. And there have been big um, uh, distinctions made by people like COP26's president, Alex Alex Sharma, emphasizing that they don't want to really change the ambitions of Paris, the ambition to keep um, 1.5 degrees as the limit of global warming, but they did want to focus a lot more on the details on the policy and how that's going to get done. They've published officially four key aims, two of which are very tangible and the other two of which are rather broad. The first one is to secure global net zero by the middle of the century, by 2050. That's a rather specific goal. Uh, The second is a little bit more broad. It's to adapt to protect our communities in natural habitats. So this is a bit of a shift from previous COPs that have focused a lot on just restricting emissions. Now there's beginning to be a heavier emphasis on accepting that we're already going to see some of the effects of climate change. How do we adapt to that? The third is to mobilize $100 billion a year in climate finance. Um, That is a goal that has increasingly been coming up just short uh this year in the press conference in fact in the press conference just today the president uh sharma announced that he believed that it would not be reached this year that they'd be coming into around 90 billion dollars for this year but that they did expect that goal to be reached by 2023 uh and the fourth goal is just again another broad one work together to meet the challenges of the climate crisis
0: okay so i mean all in all then nothing's really changed from the paris agreement it's just we are getting in a more and more urgent situation, really. So now it's kind of getting to the nitty-gritty of how do we actually meet those commitments that were made um, about Mm. five or six years ago now. So the summit actually kicked off with the World Leaders Summit, which, you know, there's been lots of coverage on that, mostly controversy about the use of private jets to get to and from the um, conference. But there were quite a lot of emotive speeches. I mean, Sir David Attenborough has probably been one of the ones that's got the most press. But um, what what were the highlights from those speeches from the various world leaders that, that were in attendance?
2: So you're absolutely right, Uh, Sir David Attenborough gave a very compelling speech right towards the beginning, a sort of live narration of a film that was happening beforehand. Uh, His, as well as most of the speeches, particularly from day one, were very focused on, on rhetoric of creating a grand stance. Attenborough, for instance, I'll read you a little bit of what he said in one of his speeches. Perhaps the fact that the people most affected by climate change are not some imagined future generation, but young people alive today. Perhaps that will give us the impetus we need to rewrite our story. Uh, again, emphasizing that even as far even in 2015 at the Paris Agreement, it wasn't understood by many in the general public that we're already experiencing the effects today. Mm-hmm. Now in 2021, the uh conscious is, is growing more and more to, um, to the um acceptance that a lot of these wildfires, a lot of these natural disasters, a lot of these impacts of climate change are not distant, that they are even beginning to happen right now that we are experiencing them. There were some other very notable ones, though, to be sure. Uh, Queen Elizabeth II was uh, intending to attend, uh, but due to medical reasons, she cannot. She provided a pre-recorded message, though, that was played, uh, in which she got rather personal as well. She talked about uh, how the late prince Philip had a very um, had, was very conscious about the environment was quite an advocate for that and she said that in that and in the advocacy of Prince Charles and Prince William she found that as a great source of personal pride is what she said. Uh, In addition, we uh, were able to find some really stellar speeches from smaller countries. Uh, The Prime Minister of Barbados, Mia Motley, had a very compelling speech. President Joe Biden gave it uh, very high praise, in which she pointed out that a lack of action is going to be a death sentence to countries like Barbados, um, or low-lying atoll nations like the Maldives and the Marshall Islands. Indeed, research has found that uh, by the end of the century, Those several countries could cease to exist just because of how high sea levels rise. That was a very compelling speech as well. Uh, You also, I should lastly point out, get some speeches from outside of the World Leaders Summit. Uh, Greta Thunberg, for instance, was seen outside giving a sort of uh, impromptu speech. She continued with this uh, this, um, uh, phrase of hers that's becoming more and more popular, blah, 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 no Mm. more blah, 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 she was saying. Uh, But she added on to that with some very, um very harsh, very direct criticism that we have come to expect from her, saying that inside that it's just politicians and people in power pretending to take our future seriously. She said change is not going to come from inside there, and that that is not leadership. So we really get a diverse array of uh, voices here uh, around this, but in general, um, Within the conference, within the World Leader Summit, there is a lot of optimism. I should lastly point out that some leaders, like President Biden, um, Prince Charles as well, uh, they were all uh, forthcoming in some more specific, uh more specific approaches that they would hope to see, some specific plans. Uh, largely these proposals all focused around economics, around getting the funding out for transitions to green energy.
0: Wow, so it has been an absolutely jam-packed three days, if you can believe it. Um I suppose what most people would expect, and, and I suppose to an extent it is true, is that the World Leaders Summit um, is mainly rhetoric, really. It's, it's just setting the tone for what's going to happen. It's, it's painting broad brushstrokes what every country is trying to achieve and, and what the common ground is. Um, but there were some commitments that were actually made and some actual tangible pledges that countries agreed to at the end of the World Leaders Summit. And do you want to run through those for our listeners?
2: Sure. So the the two main ones that came out around the first, they were agreements on methane and deforestation. Um, On deforestation, what we see is... uh, Somewhat of a reiteration of previous promises that had been made. Uh, specifically, the promise was to end deforestation and start to reverse reverse it. In fact, by twenty thirty, it was this agreement was signed by one hundred and fourteen countries, uh, including notably China, Russia, and even Brazil, which is especially uh, surprising to some, given the uh, policies of Jair Bolsonaro, the current president, who's been a bit more lenient with allowing uh, logging to continue in the Amazon, allowing forest fires to burn there. Um, but again, these promises have been made of before. And much like many environmental international agreements, the action that has been taken has not been consistent with the goals, with the promises that have been made. But nevertheless, we do have 85% of the world's forests uh, encompassed within those countries that are agreeing to this pledge. Um, then we have on methane, a rather historic agreement uh, as this is some this is a new commitment. Uh, methane is particularly notable as a greenhouse gas because it is considerably stronger than say carbon dioxide is um, depending on how you measure it anywhere from 25 to 80 times, not percent times more potent than carbon dioxide. Now, methane sticks around in the atmosphere uh, for a shorter amount of time. And all of this together means that reducing methane emissions is going to be a very immediate uh, way that we could potentially prolong the amount of time we have to solve the climate crisis in terms of other emissions like carbon dioxide. The agreement that was reached was a commitment By 105 countries. Uh, Now, there are some notable absences from this list. China, for instance, is absent, but these countries account for about 40% of the world's methane emissions and they have pledged to try and cut emissions by 30% by the year 2030. Now, again, as with a lot of this stuff, it's just a promise at the moment. Seeing the actual policies coming through has yet to occur. Um, and a last, uh, more recent development has been uh, a development in the Build Back Better World initiative uh, that has been spearheaded by President Biden alongside the UK, the EU, as well as Germany and France. Um, and out of here, we have actually found a very specific uh uh, outcome from the conference so far, a pledge for $8.5 trillion for South Africa, which is 90% reliant on coal at the moment, to transition towards green technology. Now that 8.5 uh that 8.5 billion, uh that 8.5 billion, sorry, that has been pledged so far is expected to get bigger as time goes on. Um but that is the first really concrete example mm. of a policy that we actually can expect outcomes from.
0: Okay. So I mean I suppose my next question is more generally your opinion from having followed the events that have taken place so far, um, because I know there are mixed messages out there and people have mixed feelings about this. Like you said, not a lot of this is new, potentially the approach to methane emissions and actually recognising them as an issue is perhaps the only key difference that's really happened because in, and it's actually following the science because we didn't really know how bad methane was until quite recently. So on that sense, we can say that, you know, at least it's following the science and it, it's, it's keeping up to date with progress. But, um, do you think that this has actually been a successful start? Are people actually feeling optimistic? I ask this particularly because I know China and Russia are two notable absences where their presidents haven't actually attended. So whilst they're signing up to these commitments, you've got to ask how committed they actually are if their world leaders haven't actually been in attendance. And I just wonder what your thoughts are on that.
2: Yeah, many, um, including President Biden, were very critical mm. of China and Russia's absence. Um particularly more suggesting that they were missing on our opportunities to be leaders in the situation. Um, that being said, for all, the, for all that there are, it, you know, it, it is a problem that this, it, that this world conference on climate change lacks two of the world's largest emitters, including President Xi Jinping, the leader for the world's largest polluter. Um, it should be noted that particularly in the case of China, they are actually do appear to be taking the climate crisis seriously. Are they taking it seriously enough? You know their goal for net zero is 2060, which is not in line with uh, COP 26's goal, but they are beginning to take some action. They're beginning to move some workers who previously worked in coal and either coal mining or coal power plants towards green energy. They're producing a lot more solar panel as in Beijing, they have now the world's largest fleet of electric buses, for example. So they are clearly taking it seriously. And we do know that China and particularly President Xi Jinping like to be seen as the international community as being reliable, as as holding up to their end. Uh, They often, for instance, criticize the United States for not doing that. So we can't expect them to take it seriously in the broader term of the conference and whether it has been a success um i think as a whole the first two days have left people with more optimism than they had in the in the week or so going into it but we're still lacking the sort of optimism that might have been around say two months ago. Um, We're coming into this with many world leaders who are very committed um, coming up short domestically. Uh, For instance, Boris Johnson, while the UK is generally compared to most developed countries on a good track with the climate, uh, they're still planning to add another runway at Heathrow, for example, and of course, airplanes and transportation are a major contributor to climate emissions. President Biden, very notably, has had to scale back a lot of his uh, proposed climate agenda, and it's still not been passed as it is, and Senator Joe Manchin in the United States is raising a lot of doubts as to whether even the current watered down uh, climate bill will get passed. So we're left with more optimism than we were at the very start. Um, Ambitions have been raised and negotiations so far have been for success. If you judge it by those four goals, we're coming up short of of at least the specific ones. We're coming up short of securing net zero by 2050. And we're coming up short of $100 billion in climate finance a year.
0: Okay. So, I mean, it's probably too early to, to really write off the whole thing yet, but, but there's a lot to be de- left to be desired from, from the outcome so far. But then I don't think anybody was going in and expecting COP26 to be the absolute solution to everything. Um and, and I think we have to appreciate that there is a certain level of complexity, like you said, that world leaders can go there and they can pledge everything they want, but they still have to come back to their own countries and <laughs> actually enact policy and, and and none of this means anything until that policy is actually in place, which is one of the things that you actually highlighted in the article that you wrote earlier this week about this. Um so today was finance day and you've already kind of touched upon that there's been some developments on um on the finance side because one of the key issues is sorting out financing or agreeing financing commitments for um to help developing countries really sort of jump ahead of of um a carbon-based economy. Uh, has there been anything else notable to come out from that today? Finance
2: day has proved a little bit disappointing all in all, uh considering that most experts were saying this was going to be arguably the biggest issue um, of COP26. That being said, obviously we have we, we essentially have two major developments. We have uh we have uh increased we have the deal with South Africa and the US, UK, EU to provide $8.5 billion in initial funding. Again, that's a tangible impact, which is something. $8.5 billion is still short of what South Africa had originally requested. They had requested in the hundreds of billions. Um, but nevertheless, that is something tangible. And then there is the reports that, we're expect- that uh, the COP26 presidency is expecting that all in all, there will be $90 billion in climate financing available this year. Uh, Again, that is still short, and there are a lot of questions as to, is this financing being done right? Are there too many loans and not enough grants? To what extent are these poor countries gonna have to pay them back? How how much are they gonna have to pay back? that sort of thing. So all in all, it it, ha- it has been relatively underwhelming. What will be interesting is to see how this pairs with tomorrow, uh, tomorrow being Energy Day, uh, as well as future discussions on science and innovation. Uh, because in addition to ways of making these transitions happen through simply giving funds to these poor countries, to these developing countries, there are also methods that we could say just make the green technology cheaper. So if we make solar panels, generally speaking, cheaper than coal energy, then that eliminates some of the need to give money to poor countries. Not necessarily all of it, because you have to make transitions and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see how those two compare. But all in all, finance day has been a little bit underwhelming, I think, compared to what expectations were.
0: Okay. But no, you raised some really good, interesting points that yes. Okay. Financing is a big part of it, but to keep an eye off the things that are coming up because there are other ways to reduce barriers that developing countries are facing. Um, so you've just mentioned a couple of the things that are coming up in the next days. any other big events or big, big discussions that are taking place that our listeners can keep an ear out for?
2: Yeah. So every day has essentially uh, a new theme, um, with the exception of one day that shares two themes. So to run them over briefly and then I'll, I'll highlight some of them, uh, perhaps more important ones. Tomorrow, we have a focus on energy, sort of accelerating the global transition to clean energy. This is going to be quite relevant because the energy sector is really where the vast majority of these greenhouse gas emissions come from, or not quite the majority. It's a a plurality, but it's the the most important sector in terms of raw numbers of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, Friday, we'll focus on youth and public empowerment, something that listeners might be very interested in, how much of an impact that will actually have on the climate crisis, you know, it, it's questionable. Um, Saturday, we'll focus on nature, land use, again, very important segment. Monday, again, this goes, we'll focus on adaptation, loss, and damage. This is going to be really uh, quite relevant because, again, as we have said, this is one of the big cops. This is really the first cop where we're having such a strong emphasis on mitigating impacts of climate change that we already know are coming, Mm. mitigating sea level rise as much as we can, so forth and so forth, or or at least adapting to those potential damages. Uh, In addition, we'll have, again, themes on gender, science and innovation, transport, transport uh, coming on Wednesday, November the 10th will be quite big, that's another huge sector in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. And then we'll also have one on cities, regions, and built environment before the closure of negotiations. So just to reiterate, I think the big ones here that we're going to be talking about are going to be tomorrow's discussions on energy, um, discussions on adaptation, loss, uh, and damage, uh, as well as transport. And I also think science and innovation, as I alluded to uh, just a moment ago, is going to be quite relevant because, again, one of the ways that many experts are beginning to agree could be the most practical. Way to solve this is by just getting making green technology the cheapest alternative.
0: No, definitely. I think there's a lot that's going to be going on over the next um few days, right up until the end of the following week. And we're definitely going to be relying on you, AJ, to, to break it down for us and explain things to us. Um, so I think thank you so much for coming on today and for for highlighting and giving us a rounddown of what's happened so far. Um, I think for our listeners' benefit, just let them know we will have AJ back on next week um, to carry on giving us updates on what's going on and we wish him the best of luck in his travels to Glasgow and in being at COP26 in person and thank you so much for coming on today.
2: Thank you so much Flavia.
0: So with me today I've got Richard Gill who's an Extinction Rebellion activist and he's with us today to talk about the Global Day of Action which is taking place in November. Richard do you want to tell us a little bit more about when it's actually taking place?
3: Yep. Um, Thanks for having me. Um, So the Global Day of Action is going to be happening on November 6th, it's a Saturday. Um, There's going to be actions all over the world, but specifically for us, there's going to be actions in Belfast, in Derry, Londonderry, in Cork and in Dublin. Um, The plan so far is for everybody to meet up in and around uh, Corn Market at noon on the Saturday. And then we're going to have a big march to the front of City Hall And then we're going to have a bit of a rally and a number of speakers along from various political parties and various um, activist organizations.
0: Okay, cool. So you said that this is obviously like a global day of action. So it's happening worldwide. And is this connected to COP26, which is obviously kicking off this weekend? So this will happen right bang in the middle of COP26. Yeah,
3: it is. Um, uh, If you like, the idea is to try and um, send a message from each of these places. So we'll be sending a message from Belfast to the participants at COP that um, we have high expectations of what they're going to do. And we also have some concerns about what they might end up doing if they don't hear the voices that we might want to share. We're holding it on the 6th because, that, as you say, that comes slap bang in the middle of the the, the conference. Um, and that, for those of people that don't know... Um, the conference kind of operates in two parts. The first week is going to be a lot of um, the sort of high publicity stuff, a lot of speeches by world leaders, hopefully a lot of ambitious um, pledges and promises. And then the second week is when a lot of the um, kind of uh, intense bargaining happens mm-hmm. um, as they try to draft what are, what's going to be the kind of Glasgow agreement for how they're going to fulfill Uh, the Paris Agreement for how they're going to implement things and for what targets they're going to set themselves and how they're going to hold themselves accountable. Um, So the hope is that with enough people in enough parts of the world making a lot of noise on the 6th of November, we can really send home the message that there's not just uh, eyes watching this conference, Mm -hmm. but that there's also a lot of people power out there that's going to be willing to put pressure not just on the, the, the conference in Glasgow, but also on these politicians and representatives whenever they go back home.
0: Okay. No, absolutely. So, is this um because you're obviously with Extinction Rebellion Northern Ireland, but is this an Extinction Rebellion driven event, or are there multiple organisations taking part in organising this event for Northern Ireland?
3: Um, for Northern Ireland, much the same as anywhere else, it's not being Extinction Rebellion uh, led. Um. For those that don't know, Extinction Rebellion is a memberless organization. Um, we take decentralization to be one of our core values, so we like a lot of overlap. But in terms of organizing this global dev action, it's pretty much open to anyone and anything that wants to take an interest. Um, in Belfast specifically, there's a wing of what's called the COP26 Coalition that's helping to organize the global dev actions in Ireland and the United Kingdom um we have a couple of um journalists a couple of lawyers and a couple of activists and a few politicians that are kind of taking the lead on doing the kind of nuts and bolts of organizing what's going to happen on the day uh getting permission getting insurance talking to police uh making sure that everybody understands social distancing that sort of stuff um but really um in terms of the the membership that's going to be there It's everything from political parties, uh, to uh, trade unions, um, activist organizations. There's going to be scientists, there's going to be academics, and there's going to be a lot of families, there's going to be a lot of young people, especially people from Fridays for Future and some school strikers. Um, So really, if uh, you're feeling the urgency, as a lot of us are, and you you don't want to feel alone, and you want to know the people that are going to be your comrades dealing with this climate emergency as our lives progress, this is really going to be a day that's going to show just how much support there's going to be for a just transition, and how serious the people of Northern Ireland take this issue.
0: So it's really open for anyone, basically. So any of our listeners out there that that are interested in the matter and want to take part, they just need to turn up at twelve o'clock on the day, basically, and, and join the join the event.
3: Yep, turn up at twelve o'clock. Turn up at eleven o'clock. Turn up at turn up afterwards. Um, I imagine it's going to be quite a busy day. There's going to be a lot of people there. Um, and for those people that haven't been to a kind of environmentalist march before, we're very open, we're very friendly, um, we're very polite. There'll be people handing out flags of all sorts of different varieties that you can take. There'll be placards going. Um, and you're welcome to bring your own. You can be as creative as you want. You can be as polite as you want or otherwise. Um, and the only real rule is as long as you're respectful of people, and you keep an eye out for any trouble going to anybody else then you're more than welcome you can take pictures you can live stream you can feed us if you happen to be (laughs) interested in bringing food along um
0: basically join in any way you can you're more than welcome i think is the message there
3: join in any way you can with whatever kind of affiliation you want to bring um there'll be school children along Uh, as school strikers there's going to be um, religious groups along. There's going to be on a sort of global scale. There'll be people uh, connecting us up to kind of indigenous activists. There's going to be representatives from the global south at some of the bigger uh, actions, say in London and York and Glasgow. It's going to be quite immense. It's going to be um, a good way of reminding everybody that uh, we're quite a diverse place, mm. and but we're also quite an active place. And we're full of people that take our future on this planet quite seriously.
0: No, That's great. And you've kind of already mentioned this as well, but um, for those out there that might be concerned about COVID and obviously large gatherings of people, presumably it's all going to be COVID safe. So anybody who's worried about that need not be worried.
3: Yeah, very much so. Um, I can't speak for what the the COVID situation is going to be like, but I know that in terms of official guidance, mass outdoor meetings are some of the safest that you could um, possibly think of um i know extinction rebellion northern ireland we're going to be bringing along masks and things to, to hand out to people that might not have them with them and um, we certainly encourage anybody who uh you know has any concerns to feel perfectly safe to wear a mask to wear a visor um the official itinerary is for everybody to meet at corn market but for those of you who don't know cornmark is not the biggest place mm. so there will be quite a few groups spread out all over that kind of end of town. and they'll be marching at sort of different times with a bit of space around them uh and yeah we''re, we're we've learned the last the, the pandemic has not been lost on us and um we're certainly very open to people being socially distanced and being conscientious and for those that um can't either can't make the trip in or don't feel safe making the trip in there's going to be a lot of action on social media. So by all means, feel free to get involved that way. Send messages of messages of support. Um, you know, send us a like, send us a comment, um, anything to show your presence and show your solidarity.
0: It's all so appreciated. Which, which social media accounts then should people be keeping an eye out if if they're interested in sort of finding out more or, or just getting engaged virtually?
3: Well, if you want to get engaged virtually for this global day of action, um there is a COP26. Belfast Facebook page. Um, that's kind of um that's been set up as kind of the main organizing page. Um, the Facebook page, Climate Act Now, which is a slightly older page related to similar demonstrations to try and get a decent climate bill in for Northern Ireland. It's also pushing it. Um, you can look at Extinction Rebellion, Northern Ireland. Um I know for actions in dairy, London, a lot of political parties are sharing it. Um any political parties that are going to be along Belfast should do the same. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head, know if they've gotten around to it, but that should be the case. And really, you know, you'll be seeing us in the Belfast Telegraph, the newsletter, the Irish News. Um,
0: so just know, keep the an eye out for news coverage, yeah, of it. Yeah. Okay, so um, at these kind of protests and events, there's usually some speakers that kind of, you know, make some speeches throughout the day. Are there any big names that people might be excited to listen to if they're coming along?
3: Um, There'll certainly be a lot of speakers. Um, They have organised a stage with um, representatives from some of the big political parties that are going to be there. Um, I've heard rumours that a couple of political party leaders are going to be along, um, but I can't confirm it. But um, one thing that your audience may know from watching environmentalist protests virtually is that there's there's a lot of megaphones going about. There's a lot of people standing on street corners, giving their their talk and giving their bit. And um, one thing that this Global Day of Action is kind of predicated on is the idea of a bit of decentralization. So there's no sort of common message apart from things are urgent, acts Mm. now. Um, So Extinction Rebellion, we're gonna be along and we're gonna have a performance and we're gonna be sort of pushing certain messages. There's gonna be a couple of um, other organizations that are kind of pushing things like uh, resistance to fracking, with people along to talk about the Anna McGee situation. And for those that are very interested in the goings on the storm, there'll definitely be a couple of politicians along to give you their two cents.
0: And also by the sounds of it, if there's a megaphone going around, anybody with a really strong message they want to share might have their opportunity throughout the day uh, as well.
3: Yep, we're all about participation. Um feel free to shout, feel free to broadcast, feel free to live stream, feel free to heckle, you know. There's no, I a, love an it. Emergency on. Bring the energy.
0: No, love it. It sounds like it's going to be a really, really great day. Just before I let you go, do you want to remind our listeners where they're going to meet the route that you're taking and where you're planning to end the protest?
3: So we're going to start um, assembling to get ready to move around noon at uh, Corn Market, which is just outside um, Victoria Square, for those that don't know. Um, There's a monument there, the Spirit of Belfast. Um, And from there... They'll have a few groups spread around the different streets and avenues around it to kind of make some space. And then we're going to march from there to the front of City Hall, um, and we're going to be a stage set up with a sound system, and we're going to be blaring the message all over the city centre. And I believe the speeches and things are due to start about 1pm, uh, and who knows how long they will go on for. So if you're even in the vicinity, it should be quite hard to, to miss us. You. There'll be a lot of banners, there'll be a lot of flags, there'll be a lot of music. There'll be hopefully a few animals along, yeah.
0: No, be good. brilliant. Sounds like a really good opportunity for all our listeners to get involved, and there you have it, all the details of the protest which is happening on the 6th of November, smack bang in the middle of COP26. If you're interested, you've heard it here, you can come along. It's going to be a really diverse bunch. Thank you, Richard, for coming on and talking to us about the protest. We really appreciate it.
3: Thanks for having me. Thanks very much.
0: And unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. I hope you enjoyed each of our interviews. I want to say a massive thank you to all our guests for coming on and again to Robin, who always edits these episodes for you. I hope you really enjoyed the show and I hope you'll join me next week for another one.